This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shayna Roth, and this week I'm joined by Detroit News reporter Kayla Rubel. Kayla, welcome to Mishmash. Thanks for having me. The Flint water crisis has been this seemingly never-ending fog over the state and especially over the people and city of Flint. A switch from Detroit water to the Flint River for the city's water supply by the government created an ongoing battle, first by the people of Flint, for someone to realize that their water was undrinkable, and then to the courts to hold people accountable for tainting the water. A new study found that five years after the Flint water crisis began, the people of Flint suffer a high rate of depression, with one in four meeting the criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Kayla, you had a recent piece in the news titled, Company Sued Over Flint Water Crisis Wages Digital PR War During Trial. What is going on there? Basically a case that opened in, in federal court in February. Uh, It was a five-month-long trial, a civil lawsuit uh, brought by Flint children against two private engineering companies who were contracted by the city of Flint at various points before and during the water crisis. They're being sued for professional negligence and for, you know, essentially failing to either warn or prepare the city of Flint for the water switch um, and potential problems with corrosion. What is this PR war that's, that's going on that you mentioned in your piece? You know, when you search the Flint water crisis, you would see these ads come up on Google for one of the defendants. Um, And the ads were sort of promoting uh, this company, Veolia North America, their, you know, their side of the case. Um, And they were visible on Google search if you search any Flint related terms. And it took you to a website that was, you know, that still exists. And the website is dedicated to, it's called veoliaflintfacts.com. It's dedicated to the company's case in the Flint water crisis and sort of defending themselves. Um, and what I realized was that the advertisements for this website had really, you know, sort of ramped up over the last year. I guess it's the thinking that the the company was using this to try and get jurors to maybe even inadvertently see what they're putting out there. I guess, what are the ethics here? I was just curious, you know, well, is this something that's allowed or, you know, because I realized if I could see it, that maybe a juror could see it or the judge could see it or future jurors. You know, this is a bellwether trial, which means sort of a precedent setting trial. There will be, you know, similar cases brought by children against these two companies. So there's also a jury pool. So, you know, there's going to be several years of people in Southeast Michigan being pooled for this jury. As we talked to experts, they, you know, they raised a lot of concern that the information being communicated in the advertisements and in the web on the website was very specific to the trial, was very specific to the things that the jury needed to be deliberating. You know, because the reality is, in a five-month trial, the likelihood of eight members of a jury not Googling the Flint water crisis is very low. I mean, we all know that it's pretty hard to keep our phones down. And regardless of whether the company intended um, for this information to reach a door, maybe, you know, they have said that they intended this information to go to the public. Um, to get the, their information, their side of the story. But I think, you know, experts were all sort of, you know, most for the most part, were pretty concerned in general that this is how the information was out there and that it could be viewed by a jury intentionally or otherwise. So that's one case that is going on and has sort of happened uh, with the Flint water crisis. But there's also those criminal cases, particularly when it comes to former Department of Health and Human Services Director Nick Lyon, former Governor Rick Snyder, both of whom were in their positions at the time that the Flint water crisis started and was ongoing. What is going on with with those criminal cases? 
Yeah, the criminal cases. I mean, that is like it's that's like the, been the question for I don't know whenever, however long ago February 2016 was. Um, I'm not going to do the math, but however long that's been going on is how long we've been getting asked that question. Um, and it has been up and down and sort of all over the place. You've had two attorney generals, you've had two lead investigators, you've had two sets of charges against multiple individuals because there was sort of I call it the Flint Water Crisis Criminal Investigation 1.0. Um, and those initial charges were all dropped when Attorney General uh, Dana Nessel came in. And then they made new charges, um, some against some of the same individuals, some against some of the new individuals. And ever, you know, since that has happened, um, it has been sort of another set of, I don't know, legal drama, um, mostly revolving around the fact that the Attorney General's investigation used um, a one-man grand jury to charge uh the public officials involved in the Flint water crisis and that one man grand jury, which is when a, a single judge reviews the evidence and decides whether or not to issue charges, um, has been challenged in, in the Supreme court. And so, um, in the Supreme court earlier this summer, the state Supreme court just ruled against the use of a one man grand jury for issuing indictments and, and going straight to trial. And, you know, typically in Michigan, we do a preliminary after charges are made, we do a preliminary hearing to where the judge is presented with the arguments from both sides to determine whether the case will actually go to trial. Um, the way the attorney general had set this investigation up would have circumvented that preliminary hearing. So that's what was questioned. And the Supreme Court, ultimately, the state Supreme Court ultimately decided that, that it actually could not be used for that purpose. So they would have to either go through a preliminary trial or the cases could be dropped depending on which side you talk to. So the defendants now want their cases dismissed because of this Supreme Court ruling. The prosecutors from, with the Attorney General's office are saying, no, now we'll just go through the preliminary hearing. Everything still stays the same. So we've been deadlocked on, or I don't know, we've been sort of stuck on that for a couple of months and um, are expecting a judge, you know, a judge in Genesee County is supposed to issue a ruling. Um, was supposed to issue a ruling. We were kind of anticipating it earlier this month, um, and we're still waiting. So we will see how long that takes. What is the mood like in Flint for the people that have been affected by all of this? I mean, this is good, just been going on for years. There's criminal cases. There's civil cases. They don't seem to be. Tr- most of them don't seem to be going in their favor or in the way that they would like them to go. Uh, so what is the what is the mood like there when it comes to this? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the mood in Flint, there's, you hear a lot of frustration, um, you hear, but there's still optimism, you know, I think there's such a mix, I would say, you know, people follow the developments pretty closely. um, And I do think, you know, I think probably one frustrating aspect of it is obviously the delay in justice being sought, you know, people have been dealing with this for years. And as the study showed this week, you know, there's a lot of PTSD and other mental health issues, there's physical ailments, you know, there's just so much that's been going on. Um, And I think that that has been really hard, especially because so much of this has been held up because of procedure, you know, because of a million motions that are being filed by defense attorneys or plaintiff's attorneys or the attorney general coming in and sort of disrupting the investigation for better or worse. But either way, it's sort of it's not because these cases are getting thrown out or because something like that is happening. It's these sort of like really minute like details that are happening in the legal world. That, and I think that's why, the, you know, the rest, I think it's been hard for a lot of people to follow outside of Flint, especially because there's just it's like moving so incrementally and um, 
and I don't know, just like one step at a time. And it's also kind of like, you know, it's le dry legal stuff that's happening behind the scenes, but that's really impacting these cases and is impacting, you know, a city of 100,000 people in a really serious way. That hits on the other thing that I wanted to ask you about. And, and the reason why I wanted to have you on to talk about Flint is it, it seems like the mood outside of Flint is we have all moved on. Now, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, I think she made it a little bit a part of her election. Uh, but this election cycle, we're really not hearing people talking about Flint and helping Flint and, you know, fixing lead lead pipes and things like that, that really triggered the city and triggered all of this happening to these people for so long. Do we think that this is really just kind of Flint fatigue around the state? My observation, I think there is still a lot of media coverage. There are reporters who still cover it pretty extensively. But I think there are a lot of, you know, I think there's also been a lot of fatigue. I think if you look at sort of the day-to-day -day coverage, for example, of this most recent civil lawsuit trial, you know, there was, um, you know, the Flint Journal, you know, maybe there was some coverage, but there was not maybe what you would have expected a few years ago. So I think there's some fatigue in that sense. I feel, you know, whenever I talk to people in Michigan about the Flint water crisis, you know, outside of Flint, when it comes up, there's so much interest in trying to wanting to really understand more. But I think, you know, I do think, yeah, overall, there's fatigue. I think that these, again, these trials have been dragged out with such like procedural detail that are maybe don't seem interesting to the average person, um, unless you're really paying attention to it. And I also think, you know, there was a really, uh, in 2016, as the water crisis was really, you know, all over headlines, there was sort of this neat narrative that was kind of, I think everyone sort of everyone sort of went with, which was, you know, the state emergency manager was saving money and they accidentally forgot to use corrosion control or there was some oversight. And I think, you know, the narrative is a lot messier than that. It's, it's also, there's way more information than I think was available in 2016. So for someone like myself, who's been following it, there's now this like clearer picture, but I think it is not exactly something people want to revisit. And I, I but I think this, it's such a, I think it's really hard for people to, to really, people, I, when I talk to people all, all over Michigan and the rest of the country, I think people were really affected by the Flint water crisis and what happened. And I so I think that actually plays a role in it. I think it is a really hard, and when I say hard, I mean like I think it's sad. I think it's hard. I think it's difficult for people to really think too much about because I, I think the idea of a hundred thousand people in a city that, you know, kind of represents a lot about America um, in many different ways, good and bad, is it can be a challenging thing to have to really think about all the time. It became evident this week that the city of Flint is not going to meet its September 30th deadline for replacing all of its lead service lines. Speaking of yet another sort of kick down the road for the city, what what have you been hearing about this? What can you tell us about this? Yeah, so this has sort of been something that we kind of, you know, we're sort of anticipating. Um, I think, you know, with the pandemic, things really slowed down. This has been done before in other cities, but, you know, the replacing the lead service lines, but not nearly to the extent um, that it's being done in Flint in such a big city, you know, with so many houses and such an extensive network of, you know, plumbing and what have you. Um, and, and, a, and a water system that was so damaged by the corrosive water um, during the, you know, that was caused by the water crisis. And so I think that, you know, this is something people sort of kind of, understood was probably coming. Um, there's been a dramatic slowdown, especially even this summer and some issues with contracts and with some, you know, and, and just kind of getting the process moving along. 
But again, I think it's, you know, it's one more thing. This was a date that things were supposed to be fixed. And maybe a few years ago, it felt like we were moving at a different pace than we are now. And it's just one more thing that kind of, um, you know, I think prevents closure. Nothing is ever going to fix what happened in Flint, but there is emotional closure. And I think in the conversation about mental health, you know, there's aspects of that that we're, that residents are just not getting in so many ways, whether it's the criminal justice system, the civil justice system, or, you know, their infrastructure. And I think... Yeah, that's just where we're at with a lot of things when it comes to the water crisis. Kayla Rubel is a Detroit News reporter in Flint. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Mishmash. Thank you for having me.